0: Welcome to Up in Your Business with Carrie McCoy, a production of flagandbanner.com. Through storytelling and conversational interviews, this weekly radio show offers listeners firsthand insight into the commonalities of successful people and the ups and downs of risk taking. Connect with Carrie through her candid and informative weekly blog, where she chronicles life as a wife, mother, daughter, and entrepreneur in an open and interactive form. Carrie is out of town on business and she'll be back next week. So today's show is a pre-recording from October 2016, only her sixth show ever. Last week, she interviewed Arkansas Representative Clark Tucker, who was running against Congressman French Hill in the upcoming November 6th election. And that podcast of Clark's interview is available at flagandbanner.com or wherever you like to listen. Carrie would also like to thank Centennial Bank for partnering with the Friends of Dreamland Ballroom and sponsoring this year's Dancing in the Dreamland which is coming up Friday, November 2nd. Tickets and a few tables are still available online.
1: Hello,
2: everybody. You're listening to Carrie McCoy, and it's time for me to get all up in your business. You may be asking yourself, what makes this lady qualified to do this? And I'll tell you, experience. So in a minute, you can email or call and ask me anything. My experience is deep and wide, and my advice is free.
0: You're listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy, a production of Flag and Banner.com. Over 40 years ago, with only $400, Carrie founded Arkansas Flag and Banner. During the last four decades, the business has grown and changed, starting with door-to-door sales, then telemarketing, to mail order and catalog sales. And now a third of their sales come through the internet. And this past year, Flag and Banner added another internet feature, live chatting. Over time, Carrie's business and leadership knowledge grew. As early as 2004, she began sharing this knowledge in her weekly blog. In 2009, she founded the nonprofit Friends of Dreamland Ballroom. And in 2014, Brave Magazine was launched, whose next publication is slated for October 2018. Today, she has branched out into radio with this very production, podcast, and live stream on Facebook. Each week on this show, you'll hear candid conversations between her and her guests about real-world experiences on a variety of businesses and topics that we hope you'll find interesting and inspiring. If you'd like to ask Carrie a question or share your story, send an email to questions. At upyourbusiness.org. That's questions with an S at upyourbusiness.org. Or send her a message on flagandbanner.com's Facebook page.
2: When people find out I'm that woman who owns Arkansas Flag and Banner, they often say, Oh, I've heard about you, and begin asking me business advice. I amaze even myself with all the knowledge I've gained. If you call me for advice or my guest, You will not be given textbook answers or theory, but you will be given candid advice from my real world experience. So be prepared to hear the truth. It's not always easy. For instance, you may not want to hear this. In business, there are very few overnight successes. Starting and owning a business takes persistence, perseverance, and patience. When I started Arkansas Flag and Banner, I supplemented my income by waitressing, all while I peddled my flags door to door. After nine years, did you hear me? Nine years of working a part-time job, the company began to grow and solely support me. My first hire was a bookkeeper to handle the clerical side of my business. My first expansion was to begin the manufacturing of custom flags, so a sewing department developed. The next decade ushered in the Desert Storm War. Flags were scarce, so a screen printing department was hurriedly built to meet consumer demands. In addition to sales and manufacturing, Flag and Banner now has a purchasing department, a shipping department, technology department, marketing department, call center, and retail store. And I spearheaded the development of every one of these departments. My experience is deep and wide, and my advice is free. Unbelievable. My guest today is Congressman French Hill. He is the founder and chairman of Delta Trust and Bank. He attended Vanderbilt University, graduating magna cum laude. With a BS, that's a business in science and economics, his education, business experience, economic analysis, and professional leadership have been sought by multiple US presidents. He served as senior policy advisor to President George H.W. Bush, Deputy Assistant Secretary of the U.S. Treasury and Senior Advisor to Governor Mike Huckabee. French's website boasts he is a Little Rock businessman and job creator. For the past 20 years, he has been working, investing, and creating jobs in Central Arkansas across different industries. Welcome to the table, Congressman French Hill.
1: Man, I can't think of anybody I'd rather get up in business with than you, (laughs) so I'm glad to be here.
2: (laughs) Thank you. I love the show. You know, every time I ask a guest on, or at least so far, I've known them, and I've known you for a while, but I never really know them until I go and do their research. I had no idea that you were a politician or worked in politics or assisted presidents of all Things I had no idea until I read about your biography. I just thought that one day you decided to run for office, and that you were a banker that just decided to run for office.
1: Yeah, I've I've had a variety of uh, careers. It's been hard to keep a job over the 35 years. I'll say. But I think it's it's always helped me in my business career. When I was in my 20s, I worked up on the Senate Banking Committee for a couple of years for a senator from Texas named John Tower. I did that for two years, then I went back into to Texas to work at a venture capital uh, company. And then, as you noted, I got to work for uh, President Bush 41 for four years. And he's a man I really admired. And one thing that I think made Bush a good president is that before he was a, a congressman and, a, and a, a CIA director and some other things he did, he was a business guy. He innovated in the in oil and gas business and he is, and his partners were the first investors in and successful builders of a semi-submersible offshore oil platform. Really? And he created a company called Zapata, which was the first big offshore drilling rig contractor in the Gulf uh, during the late 50s and early 60s. And so Bush kind of brought that same can-do, West Texas, Houston Entrepreneurship. Sense, entrepreneurship to the decisions he had to make. And that's, you know, what I wish we had more of, you know, in, in government today. But it's one reason that's attracted me to public policy is to bring that business common sense, something that you deal with every day. If we had that in our legislative bodies, I think we'd probably make uh, better decisions.
2: Well, I have a question for you later in the show that yep. goes right into that. Yeah. But you are so also have so much deep and wide experience. There's French Hill, the entrepreneur. There's French Hill, the man who is funny, and I hope that that comes out and everybody gets to see how funny you are. And then there's French Hill, the congressman. So I want to start first with you as an entrepreneur. You said, and I quote, I started my business as an idea sketched out on the back of a napkin and built it into a successful enterprise as a result of hard work, not government handouts or bailouts. French, I felt like I was reading the story of FedEx and probably so many other companies that started their business on a napkin. Can you tell us a little bit about yeah, who you were with and
1: how it started? You and bet. I remember exactly, you know, when it was and who was there. You said something that overnight successes take perseverance and my expression I used at Delta Trust was the average overnight success takes 14 years. <laughs> I mean that was that was and that was. I'm using that. Yeah, that's that's but that's the way to think about that perseverance part. So, I was with a couple that's very close friends uh, with Martha and me, two couples, and we were having dinner one night and we were talking about what became Delta Trust. And I took out this cocktail napkin at this restaurant and I wrote trust, investments, and uh, banking on it, the three core uh, functions of what became Delta Trust. So that's those were the three core services because we were struggling with a name. And we chose Delta because Delta's a three-sided triangle, obviously, equal-sided I triangle. I
2: just thought it was a place down in South Arkansas.
1: Well, but this is the key. We, we said we have these three core services trust investment and banking the bank that we're investing in that we want to grow is in the Mississippi Delta down in beautiful Parkdale Arkansas Ashley County and the third thing was is that Delta in math is the sign of change no way it is the change descriptor and of course it's very hard when you start a company to get people to change from whatever they're doing now to you It's hard to get people to change anything. Right. And so in any small business, this gets right to the heart of what you do, someone looking for customers has to realize they have to acquire those customers from something else, an alternative. And so Delta Trust became the name of our company and the whole business strategy that we worked on and perfected, I guess you'd say, for 16 years.
2: I wondered when I was working on these questions for you which i have like look how many pages of questions i have for you you've done so much i hope we get to all of them and i wondered what trust meant if it had a double meaning because yeah. a trust can be it a does. trust fund and a trust can be trust in somebody
1: it did it's uh, we inverted the name most people have grown up with banks that were called first national bank and trust mm-hmm. and our company was delta trust and bank
2: I noticed that.
1: And we inverted the name on purpose for both reasons. One was we put trust services and investments first; it's our lead service that we'd go to families and business owners with. And secondly, we were not—it um, wasn't an accident—to put trust and convey that in our advertising and marketing. And we said trust is our middle name on purpose because we wanted to convey a sense of trust. Delta Trust, trust we want you to and trust Bank. Us uh, with your financial questions
2: and the delta being change i mean freud has a death principle and it's called doing something you've always done before i mean that's the death principle not changing so you are helping people by talking them into changing
1: right and you know you if you want to get the same results if they're meager keep doing the same thing over and over again is a, is another risk in small business if you're not growing and not having If success.
2: you don't change, I heard, a, I can't remember who it was, but I heard some man say, if your business isn't changing every 10 years, you're going out of business, and I believe that today. Uh, you heard my intro. I've
1: changed and yeah. changed
2: and changed and changed. Think and about changed.
1: that. From personal door-to-door, then to basically catalog-type sales. Telemarketing. Flyers, telemarketing. Now and the internet.
2: <laughs> four years, Four decades. Four different business models.
1: I told our guys, we started our company in 1999. It's now part of, of Simmons now, as of 2015. So I said, over that 16 years, you've seen war, you've seen two lows in interest rates, you've seen two stock market crashes, the famous uh,
2: Desert Storm and the banking 2008.
1: Yeah, and so that's a lot. In a young, let's say somebody came to work at Delta Trust and they were 23, Mm -hmm. and then they were late 30s. Most people would see that kind of radical change: technology, war, recession, interest rate swings, in a whole career, not 15 years. So it's
2: moving fast these days. It is, and that's why
1: business people have to be really on their toes.
2: I was going to ask you about selling your business. How does it feel? how did you make the decision that's something i've never done i've never sold a business right oh before i ask him you think about that i want to talk about your decision to sell your business and why you did it and how hard it was to let go of your baby but before i do that i want to say you're listening to up in your business with carrie mccoy on kabf my guest today is congressman french hill founder of delta trust and bank
0: Flagandbanner.com is proud to underwrite Up in Your Business with Carrie McCoy, where listeners are offered firsthand insight into the humanity and commonalities of successful people, shared in a conversational interview with Carrie. Along with this radio show, flagandbanner.com publishes a free biannual magazine called Brave. First published in October 2014, Brave Magazine harnesses the power of storytelling and human empowerment. The Department of Arkansas Heritage recognized Brave Magazine's documentation of American life and microfishes all editions for the Arkansas State Archives. Subscribe to this free periodical by going to flagandbanner.com and and selecting magazine.
2: So, Congressman, thank you for coming on my show. I love it. I mean, people just think I am the cat's pajamas because I've got a congressman on my show. But uh, tell me about selling your business.
1: Was it hard? Well, it's always hard uh, to sell a business. And I've, as a banker and investment person for 35 years, I've helped a lot of people prepare their business for sale or talk them. Oh, I bet. And so I've always been on the other side of that equation for the most part. Except, uh, you know, as an investor in something. But this one was really connected to me personally, having been the the founder founder and the CEO of it. But I had investors who were very eager to, after 15 years, redeploy their capital. And so they had urged me as the CEO to consider what are the best circumstances I could, a sale. And so I approached it as a fiduciary. I approached it as their agent. And I tried to take my own emotional position out of it to somewhat. But some of the things I considered were, uh, can I find a place where our employees would be happy? Can I find a place where our customers would get great quality service and have the same values that we had at Delta Trust? Can I find a group that would be um, accepting the unique products that we developed over that period of time and actually give those products and services a home? And so after a lot of work and several years, uh, we made that decision. But it was it's always tough to do that.
2: Unique products. I didn't know you could get unique and creative in the banking
1: world. Well, it's harder now with regulation. That's what I would think. It is. But, you know, we always tried to innovate. We created one of the biggest health savings accounts banks uh, in the country. And uh, Delta Trust built that business 100% using Google AdWords and uh Built that business 100%. What year did you do
2: that with those Google AdWords?
1: Uh, I'm gonna guess it was in um, the um, middle 2000s, maybe uh 08, 09, Uh in that time frame. We had seen that health savings accounts were a great way for small businesses to combat rising healthcare costs and give both business and employees more independence. And so we looked around and we saw that there weren't many banks doing it nationwide, and there were very few maybe one in arkansas really so we built uh, this business online we had accounts in all 50 states it was a
2: and there were no and there account. were no regulations for going in all 50 states
1: no because back in uh, we have nationwide branching and nationwide deposit oh. uh, solicitation and banking if you follow the rules associated with that the disclosure rule which we did and it was exciting for our employees. And we basically had, I'd say it was our probably third largest branch, was this online office that contained the customer service team for health savings accounts.
2: You know, taking a fiduciary responsibility of selling that business is uh, admirable. I think everybody that knows you thinks you're admirable. I think that's why when you go to, actually I went to your fundraiser this week, and somebody there said, If French ever decides that he wants a president for Democrats for French, (laughs) I want to be the president. (laughs) You are the most bipartisan politician I've ever met in my life because your demeanor is not only fun, but trust is a perfect word for what you did with Delta Trust. Everybody that meets you likes you, trusts you. I'd have to say, Martha, if you're listening, you're a lucky girl. I bet you Mm. keep her laughing all the time so is true mostly laughing
1: at me not with me
2: so i want to tell a funny story about you when i first met you well i probably had already met you but when i first got to know you i was invited to join rotary club 99 which i don't know if people know this it is like the top 10 rotary in the world and you were the president
1: right we're blessed we've had rotary in little rock since 1913 and For people that don't know much about Rotary, it started in 1905, a lonely guy up in Chicago wanted to network and find friends, make friends first, and secondly, uh, have contacts for his business. He had no customer acquisition program. (laughs) He didn't know how to get customers, and so he dreamed up this brilliant idea about Rotary. And then the third component was community service. And for over 100 years now, Rotary has delivered on all three of those things for its members. And Little Rock has one of the top 10 Rotary clubs in the country in terms of size in the world, as you say. Yeah, in the world. And uh, dynamic leadership. In fact, our Rotary Club, the one you and I belong to, Little Rock Rotary Club, was in the Rotary International magazine this week. Really? It goes worldwide to 1.2 million Rotarians and 32,000 clubs about our partnership with Heifer International to help create sustainable agriculture and healthy food. Just here in the metro Little Rock area, not to mention what we partnered with Heifer over in Romania to bring the first fresh milk to the Romanian people after the fall of the Berlin Wall over there. So Our club Uh, has a great reputation.
2: Arkansas is the biggest little town that people come here and they just cannot believe it. It's the, I mean, we have more museums, we have more artists, we have great nonprofits, we have the largest Rotarian. I mean, I can't believe that Heifer is here. It is such a great place, too. I gotta tell the story. So, you're the president of Rotary, and it's one of my first times to visit, and it's lunch. And lunch is on Tuesdays, and it's always the same. And the Sunday before the Tuesday Rotary luncheon that I'm at was the Masters. Where everybody is given a green jacket. Everybody knows that, right? So it's per usual. You invite a fellow Rotarian to come up and tell who the um, guests are of the day and introduce the guests. So this guy, I can't remember his name. Let's say Mr. Wilson. You introduce him. He gets up, walks to the podium. He's wearing a green blazer. And he introduces all the guests. Nobody thinks anything about it. And then you walk back over the podium and just right off the cuff and say, Mr. Wilson, why didn't you tell us you won the Masters Sunday?
1: (laughs) And fortunately, the joke worked. Oh, it's so funny.
2: I cannot watch the Masters without smiling and thinking about that. Because you did it just off the cuff so good. That's why people love you. That's why you're so bipartisan. That's why you're Democrats for French. Tell us how you got that name.
1: French is my grandmother's maiden name. And so my dad, who's alive, B-91 in January, he's my official Medicare advisor. Uh, Jay is J-A-Y, French Hill, so my dad is J-A-Y. I'm James French Hill. My grandfather was James Wilson Hill, and my cousin here J- is Jay Rogers. So I didn't want to go to Thanksgiving and be Little J or whatever, even as a young person, and so I chose to go by my middle name, and I survived elementary school, middle school, high school, and college with the name French, so I've heard every joke there is, except that in college, at a social event, I was being introduced and someone said, and now here's the president of our club, French Hill, please meet him and nobody got it they couldn't figure out that that was the name so they said well they thought my name was fred shell <laughs> not french hill yeah so that's for the rest of my college it. career yep. my nickname was fred of course uh,
2: fred shell yeah. fred Shelby, be right here Well, yep. you shouldn't have told me that because yep, you, you may be that to me from now on
1: but yeah i love my grandmother and proud to carry her her maiden name that's nice
2: so you're an i've also read in your bio you're a ninth generation arkansan i didn't know there were nine generations of arkansans
1: yeah this was her family my grandmother's family this is my this is my dad's mom they came to arkansas post her people in the 1780s and so wow. they've lived in arkansas they were obviously farmers and pioneers uh tough people until, uh, oh gosh uh tough people they survived everything malaria civil war uh, attacks of all kinds uh, and then after the depression as they say people moved to town everybody lost the lost the farm in the depression but
2: is that really what they say they moved to town yeah what do you think the secret of your success is
1: i think it's perseverance off the top of the show you mentioned the word perseverance i have always had a stick-to-itiveness about my personality and commitment to things. I'm a committed person. And you really need to be successful in business. You really have to be personally bought in. Again, just like your testimony at the top of the show. So perseverance is essential. I think the uh, only place work comes uh, after success is in the dictionary. You know, that old expression, you gotta work before you can be successful. And I just know that to be true. It and is true. And I think that's the secret to America. America is diverse, true, giant now, 300 million people. But there is a common code in our makeup, I think, of being willing to work hard because we do get rewarded in our society if we work hard. You absolutely we do. do. We do.
2: You're listening to Up in Your Business with Kerry McCoy and my guest, Congressman French Hill founder of the delta trust and bank you're passionate outdoorsman oh got a call hey you're listening to kabf with congressman french hill what's your question
3: um i just wanted to have them talk a little bit how politics and business kind of go together and how one affects the other
1: good question thank you yeah i thank the caller for the the question you know the heart of our country for 240 years has been industriousness of the American people and having the freedom to pursue happiness as promised in the Declaration of Independence. In fact, in the list of grievances by the colonists against King George III, if you have ever read the whole Declaration of Independence, not just the part we memorize and we talk about unalienable rights but the whole list of grievances one of them is and he meaning the king has sent down swarms of his officers and eaten out their substance what so this is the sense that government was too big too intrusive in the industry of the colonial people living in north america and that the uh, king was all up in their business (laughs) you know and so uh, it wasn't appreciated so the sort of secret in our society has been letting the private sector uh, have enough freedom to create business, create industry, create jobs, and grow. And therefore, we have grown to be the biggest economy in the world over those 240 years, and we have really created wealth that's freed billions of people from poverty, and hunger, and, and famine through that free market system. So how politics and business interact is in limiting that freedom, but not too much. In other words, we wanna make sure business people are ethical, that they're honest, that they don't do criminal things, they don't defraud people, that they protect consumers. Uh, And so we have some base rules about that. We want workplaces safe. So we've agreed to have some basic safety standards for business, some basic pay standards like for business. So it's that tension about how politics and business interact. And what business wants is the freedom to be creative to employ more people, to change and grow their business and take advantage of the times, and do that in a way that produces greater wealth for the American people. Business
2: is creative. It is creative, and this is where... and That's why people get don't want restrictions a little bit, is yeah. they want to be creative, that's right. but you've got to have restrictions because humans are needed a little. I mean, we need boundaries. Like children, everybody needs a little boundaries to keep the right. playing field
1: even. And I think we're, that's where politics comes in, is in establishing those boundaries and then having a a voice of the people, whether it's a planning commission Mm -hmm. right in Little Rock, or a state legislature about the quality of education in the state of Arkansas, or at the federal level, where you're talking about boundaries related to federal policy, whether it's health like the NIH or FDA on drug research. So how do we keep those boundaries to protect families and consumers, and business for that matter, and yet create an environment for creativity, innovation, and growth.
2: So speaking of free trade yeah. and jobs and borders and boundaries, what do you think? I mean, this may be a really hot subject, and it's really not supposed to be, this show's not supposed to be about politics, but this is about business. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think about you know the world economy and we're all, in a, it's a global economic world? Yeah, I
1: don't know, I mean, I'd, I'd sort of, ask you a little bit about the sales of your products, uh, if they're all mostly domestic or not, but I just left an Arkansas State Chamber luncheon, and uh, two of my young friends that have neat manufacturing businesses are both women-owned businesses, one in Conway and one over in Sherwood. They
2: need to come on my show? They
1: both. They'd be they'd be fabulous. Uh, we need a manufacturer on the Gina show. Gina Radke and uh, Rachel Cox are two great young business women in the metro area. And they export their business it's essential that they export and if you think about American business and services as well as manufacturing 95% of the customers of the world are outside the US really so we have to think about how to do business internationally and the purpose of a good trade agreement a quality trade agreement however you want to have an adjective is to open up markets for American services and goods. That's how we should measure success. So global trade is important to American Americans. And here in, in Arkansas alone, 350,000 jobs are tied to uh, trade in our state of just 3 million folks. And a lot of that is in the ag sector because we're a big, big agricultural expert. Oh, yeah. We're the largest exporter of rice, for example.
2: hmm well, I have an opinion about that. When I, of course, my flags are made in America.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Otherwise, I would be egged. I'd probably egg isn't my building. is that build
1: great? Them. And I, yes. I know that's something you're proud of and something you use in marketing. Fifth, yeah. fifth
2: generation family, okay. still making where, them. Where are they? They're in New Jersey. Okay. Uh, and they've got a great story. He was a tailor in New York, and every time the boat would come over from England, he'd be waiting for his materials to come over so he could start making dresses, and be, he was a dressmaker, And Mr. Annan. And he found that patrons were lining up for flags they were wanting flags to come they were wanting u.s. flags to fly and he was like well i need to start making flags not just dresses everybody wants flags also so he started making flags in the new york garment district and that was five generations ago wow that's a great story and they still work there the family still (coughs) works there it is a good story they're great people uh they gave me my first flag gave me credit gave me my first flag But customers say to me all the time, they walk in the front door, and when I originally started my retail store, I thought, I'm just going to sell only American-made products because that was in keeping with my flags. But after Desert Storm, and then after 9-11, people really wanted, they wanted to wear patriotic clothes. They wanted to put patriotic decorations in their house. They wanted to put stuff on their cars. They just wanted to show their love for their country. So I started going to market and opened up a retail store with a storefront. And I thought, well, I'll buy American-made products. You can't find gifty stuff that's not made overseas somewhere, right. because I did find a few. And the difference between a ball cap made in America at this time and the difference between a ball cap made, you know, in Asia,
1: mm-hmm.
2: was thirty-five dollars versus nine dollars. Mm-hmm. And so I would put them right there and make a whole table that said, all these products are made in America. Well. They've got a lot of, you know, workman's comp and, you know, a lot of great things that go to our workers that, you know, I'm sorry to say Asia doesn't have that. So I found that my consumers were more price-driven than
1: patriot-driven
2: when it got down. I mean, they'd say one thing, but when it really got down to the nitty-gritty, they always went for price.
1: Well, that's an interesting perspective, and I think you find that because we have Trade arrangements with different countries, and we invest there, and people invest here, and we have that process. Consumers are among the leading beneficiaries of that. They are in the '60s, but the uh,
2: workers are not.
1: No, they don't. They're not always. And this is where I've put so much emphasis of my times in the 21 months I've been in Congress in skilled workforce, because if we you from
2: w- raising the minimum wage?
1: Uh, no. Not, not. At, not at the federal level. not at the federal. Oh, not the federal level. Yeah, and the state of Arkansas has, uh, in 14, the people have spoken to a, a phased uh, minimum wage increase. I think all labor markets are local, and you've got to be very sensitive. Right. About,
2: yeah, about because we local. can't pay $15 like California's paying an hour.
1: Right. This is the key thing. But let me tell you an up-in-your-business type story. So I meet a Burger King guy a few months ago who owns the Burger King franchise in Seattle, Washington. And they have a fifteen-dollar minimum wage there. It was nine dollars, and the city council in Seattle has moved it to fifteen dollars. I said, "Well, what's the, you know, what's the challenge there?" Well, we're going to have to lay off workers, and we won't be able to have summer employment because every point increase there means our profit margin is going to be at zero. We're going to have to raise prices. Right. And, we'll probably limit our employees and we're going to invest in all this robot technology you know robo sourcing robo you'll order on mm. a computer screen like an atm screen or a touch screen at an airport and I think we ought to be sensitive to getting people into the workforce, get them the skills they need, and it's why I like concurrent credit, like at Greenbrier what's School con-
2: District. What's concurrent, concurrent credit? Concurrent
1: credit is where they offer all AP courses at the high school level, and they actually earn college credit, saving their families tens of thousands of oh,
2: dollars. Oh, I love that. Potentially.
1: And Greenbrier does a great job of that. So these families can graduate a high school student with about 30 hours of college credit to help them better control their family budget, And, of course, that's – and it's offered to all students. But Brenda Lawrence, who's a member of Congress from Detroit, and I uh, co-chair this house in the House of Representatives of the Skilled Workforce Conference, and what we're trying to do is find community ideas, local ideas that are helping people get the education they need so they can have a higher-paying job. And we can stop debating about entry-level type pay or temporary work type pay or – just those starting jobs that we all had when we were teenagers or in our youth, and I think the secret of that is is education. That's why I like Governor Hutchison's coding classes in the high schools to try to uh, see if that's something that is an attractive area to more high school students that might want to go into computer type technology jobs as they go through high school and beyond. It takes a lot of work on this, and you know when you and I were in middle school, we had a little bit more guidance i think about whether we were going to be bound for college or bound for a mentorship and apprenticeship
2: an i don't apprenticeship. know if i did i was kind of floundering
1: were you floundering
2: i was floundering well, i read yours you did good you well, went you went to catholic high i believe i, did. I mean but I, I, I
1: feel like you went to catholic high oh no you don't ever say <laughs> i feel Father Tribe it would put you in the doghouse for that. <laughs> Never say I feel. Say I believe. I know or I believe. Right. But I got to present all his World War II medals the other day to a guy named Mr. Grisham, who was my 7th grade shop teacher at Henderson Junior High School here. Full circle. And I still had the dustpan I made in 7th grade because i don't ever throw anything away i'm and it's sorry a, it's, martha it's a very good dustpan it's very heavy duty i
2: bet it's made of clay or something no
1: it's sheet metal we oh, bolted good. together you oh, know yeah. it's an industrial arts class All right. but it reminded me that we communicated to kids about more than one alternative when they turn 18 we wanted to stay in school i saw in the paper where our graduation rates up compared to the national average in this state i think that's awesome yay but we need people having a plan when they turn 18 and i think Having skills is how we get beyond this debate about pay and get people more on the pursuit of happiness. Whether they want to start their own business or go to work with some.
2: So I heard you say one day, you were talking to some people, and you said that you're glad you're in Washington because you feel like you're one of the few businessmen and you're not a professional politician. Can you talk about that?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I've been in in business in all kinds of different businesses for thirty-five years, and when you go to DC, you find a lot of people in the in a and I've never been in a legislative job, you know, like a elected official or in a legislative branch. And it's a collaborative effort. You gotta get people to come to your point of view. That's the secret of a legislative body. And so I think experience is the best teacher there as well. If someone's been a Elected official their whole career or a college professor or something like that They don't have the practical experience to understand what these laws do to weren't you trying to put people.
2: together a little pamphlet for small businesses? And the people you were trying to talk to were just dreaming up ideas to burden small businesses and you were like Do y'all even know what you're talking about? They don't
1: I mean, I don't want to I don't want to okay, make grand sorry. statements right. about they don't know. I don't right. want to say that right there is a not a full understanding of go. the unintended consequences of somebody's well-meaning yeah. policy idea.
2: And well-meaning
1: is true. It's absolutely true. We'd like to do this, but what is the impact across the economy? You may help a few people here, but how many people will you hurt by doing that? And small business, I think, is always bears the brunt because if you work at some big international corporation, you've got lawyers and compliance people. You can always cope with it.
2: Was Delta Trust a, considered a small business?
1: Yeah, we had a, at the at our largest, we were probably about 135 employees.
2: Is it 500 employees or less that makes a small business?
1: Typically, the SBA says that they have a sales number too. But I mean, 500 employees to me is a very big business. It
2: seems like it to me. Um,
1: but that's the but that's another example of the government. Well, they think 500 is small. Well, if you have a small business, 500 is like an army. That's I know, like, right? We don't. What are you talking about? <laughs> But the government has come up with that, and that's a, just an example of what I'm talking about. So in my, I serve on the House Financial Services Committee that uh, works Thank on, goodness. on We're rules glad you're that there. deal with community banks or how to get capital to small business, all those sorts of things we deal with, and I just try to use my voice and my experience to help make recommendations.
2: You're listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy and my guest, Congressman French Hill. So we have a caller. Hello, you're listening to KABF with French Hill. Do you have a question for us?
3: Uh, Just make a comment, if I could. Sure. Uh, Enjoy the program. What a timely topic. You're talking about free trade. I know that was uh, brought up at every presidential debate we've had the last couple of weeks. But I want to also say I do agree with Congressman Hill. I think $15 an hour, it might sound good on paper, but it's just not realistic. And if it costs jobs... Probably not a good idea, but I did want to make a comment about something that I know a little bit about in my industry that I work in, and that's the automotive industry. Okay. There's a huge need for skilled automotive technicians, people that work on cars. And part of the reason that is, is because A, people are keeping cars longer. They're not trading as often, so there's more repairs needed down the road, and B, the technology on automobiles has changed so quickly, uh, just the last four or five years, different kind of engines, hybrid engines and so forth, that there's a big need out there. I know there's uh, a lot of the high schools have automotive technology programs, and I think Pulaski County has an automotive program, and a lot of dealerships will hire people and, and help them on an apprentice level to get those skills needed. But uh, just want to say I enjoy the program. And Thank you guys keep it up. and. Uh, I guess I'll hang up and
2: listen. Okay, good. Thanks for calling. I had no idea that we had a shortage of uh, automobile mechanics. I had no idea. I don't even know how you can do that anymore. They're also computerized. They'd have to go to 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 computer school. You have to have a computer science degree to work on a car these days, it
1: seems like. Well, this gets back to my point about skilled workforce. I think the caller is uh, 100% right. That Uh, would be skilled workforce. It is, and that's what I mean by helping someone in high school before they turn 18 and graduate, determine, hey, I think I'm gonna go down the route of learning a skill like auto uh, mechanics and auto technician repair, which is more complex now. There's probably a two-year apprenticeship schooling process on that, and the best thing sort of like that, I've seen in the metro area, is Arkansas State University, ASU BB has a partnership with John Deere and they are one of 17 centers around the country. The John Deere dealership, this is both for big combines as well as you know, yard type equipment, mowers. They hire uh, a promising young person at their dealership and then they send them to ASUBB where they are in a couple of year program and they are getting fully certified in all the technician work, uh, the technical work of these modern engines and modern engine repair and mechanical work. And what John Deere does for ASUBB is give them new equipment every year. That's the hard part. That's so smart. See, these schools can't afford to upgrade the hottest diesel engine or the newest Ford motor technical work. And so that partnership between industry and the school is what I think works the best and having an old car that doesn't always how is has, old blue old blue is is struggling and therefore uh, sh- she's right she outside, outside the studio oh waiting gosh. for new stress i gotta
2: have a picture made with old blue but so you picked me up in old
1: blue one time i i'm sorry <laughs> i hope it was. i did okay. not
2: know you owned a bank i did know you were the president of rotary you said going to take you to lunch somewhere and talk to you about business or something i said okay so i met you and some other ladies and we went to we went to lunch and you picked me up in that car and i thought what the heck is this car <laughs> who is guy later someone says well you know he owns a bank i'm like what he does not own a bank
1: yeah he just uh but old blue is uh doing great and but (laughs) the but this issue it's uh old blue is a 97 98 well you're exactly the the person the
2: caller was talking about people are keeping their cars
1: a long time no that's right And, (laughs) and think about the think about the issues here not only does that technician have to keep up with the newest trends that ford or whoever is producing that are so modern, many, many parts, 10,000 parts, a lot of electronics, but yeah. you've also got customers bringing in old cars that you've got to keep up with. Crazy customers. Right, well, whatever.
2: <laughs> so people always say this, can the government be run like a business?
1: Yeah, I've heard that. Uh, I, forever. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't either. Uh, I think that that's sounds good, but I don't think it's a uh, practical reality. There are things that you can bring best practices into line management in the government uh, like at the Veterans Administration. We seem to have a terrible customer service problem sometimes due to training, record keeping, customer service on healthcare side, customer service on the benefit side. So you'd like to say we could bring the lessons we have in business. That's right. Well, let me tell you. Current appointed head of the VA, Bob McDonald former CEO of Procter & Gamble. Really? One of the best companies in the world. Certainly knows a little something about customer service. But he has this terrible time pushing down through the tens of thousands of employees that customer service mentality, that high ethical fiduciary relationship with a patient or with a vet who needs benefits analysis. And it's frustrating. And that's why you have to work through government unions you have to work through yeah. merit system protection board and it's just like you read about in dealing with a school district issue or anything else government requires a different kind of management it doesn't get its money i bet he wants to pull his hair out uh, there's not well he doesn't have much left oh. he, but but he's uh, i think he does because he has to testify before congress and he's never worked in this government situation uh, not, before. well he was uh, i think he's a west point grad he's a decorated service man is a fine individual
2: yeah i'm sure but
1: you are in this system and we have good people sometimes in bad systems mm-hmm. and in the civilian sector of uh, our government we fight this a lot and it's too I, big and too unwieldy and it's why congress has this obligation to do oversight point out these things it's why i have the golden fleece award that that i hand out where i think government's doing a bad job and something because it's a way to call public attention to something that needs to change and
2: you're gonna tell us about the Golden Fleece Award you're listening to KABF with my guest French Hill
1: listen to all UIYB
0: past and present interviews by going to flag and and clicking on radio show also by joining our email list and liking us on Facebook you'll get a reminder notification the day of the show with a sneak peek of that day's guest back to you
1: Carrie so
2: French if you had no constraints is there a policy that you would like to put in place?
1: On uh, sort of any topic? hmm Well, I think one of the macro areas, so whether you're talking about the civilian defense department or the U.S. Forest Service or the National Park Service or the VA, it would be wonderful if we had a set of common sense hiring practices where we could recruit people into these jobs do annual performance appraisals of them and fire them and move them out if they're not performing up to standard and recruit additional people and do that in a timely, thoughtful way, but fair. not one and fair that creates an esprit de corps. Where if I look up the chain of command in one of those agencies and I see the person at the top, I know that I report to that person and that I have. You know to do a good job in order to keep my job that's good that's
2: good i wanted to say that but i didn't know how to say as great as you did all right we've got a caller this is gary mccoy you're on the air With french hill do you have a question
0: i was just going to ask congressman hill about what are the prospects of something to replace obamacare number one
3: and number two you know i don't think there's a lot of people that know
0: uh, congressman hill's background and i'm not sure why that's not brought a little more, I guess, some uh, really, really good credentials backing him up.
2: Thank you, Pauler. Obamacare, I wasn't going to bring it up, but he did.
1: Well, I think we've had uh, six years of living with the Affordable Care Act, which probably should have been called the Accessible Care Act rather than the Affordable Care Act because it did increase access in a number of ways, but really when we look back on it six years now, it has not You know increased affordability for many many people
2: but I have to tell you it helped my small business yeah you wanna know why yeah because I'm not having to compete with health care I'm too small to provide health care my my people were too I didn't have enough people right and I couldn't hire good people because I couldn't offer health care and now everybody can get health care through another means beside their business, so it took Arkansas Flag and Banner out of the business of healthcare, which yeah. I liked.
1: Yeah. Well, I like the idea that we create uh, individuals' ability to buy healthcare on their own. There you go. That's what I'm trying to because say. Because the portability aspect of that is something that we we've never really achieved, and I do agree that that's one of the directions you know that's been. Uh, Good. I don't know that creating sort of this uh, trillion dollar Expense machine wrapped around it was the way one could have gone that that way. I think individuals uh, having access to individual policies That didn't have to have the Affordable Care Act's mandated services in them would make them more affordable and lower deductibles and lower premiums even for people in the instance that you talk about Mm -hmm. people out on the exchange for example and that's also, because of those costs, driven up group plans for people who do provide group coverage to their oh, employees. Has? And it's, some states, you know, up dramatically, 25, 30 percent a year in the last few years. And individuals have lost access to some of their uh, doctor coverages and things like that. So I believe that How we many people have gotten health care, though, because of
2: Obamacare? Like, a bunch.
1: Yeah, well, in Medicaid expansion, which yeah. is a part of Medi- which
2: was it's just a big pr- Medicaid was a problem, wasn't it? Right.
1: Well, Medicaid is the federal government's uh, low-income care. <laughs> well, no, it's the it's the, uh, how the federal government gives money to states to provide health care opportunities for the poorest citizens that we have, and the Medicaid expansion uh, expanded that access uh, up the income ladder a little bit. My view there is that I would prefer us to block grant that money to the state and let the states design their own Medicaid programs and their own Medicaid expansion programs based on what the state can afford because the federal government has mandated the services and said we'll pay for it for three years and then you're off on your own. And I think that's probably not... Uh, the way to go. So I hope we can come up with ways to uh, replace some aspects of Obamacare and get it where people have more choice and that we can result in lower prices and but more access as well.
2: Yeah, it needs to be tweaked a lot, I think, although I don't know anything about it. I'm so glad I'm not in politics. I could not deal. How do you keep your your compassion for people and your energy, which is compassion for people, and your energy that comes from anger at the system and anger that things don't work the way they should. How do you balance all that? Yeah. Because I would be upset all the time. I
1: think. Well, we want to. We want our country to be better and stronger. We want it to be fiscally strong. We want it to be uh, strong to protect the homeland, protect our citizens at home and abroad. So. I, I'm a great optimist about the United States. You're a
2: great optimist, we, period. We've,
1: we've had 240 years of success. We've weathered depression, war, terrorist attack, Pearl Harbor, 75th anniversary this coming December 7th.
2: Didn't Didn't you give it, you said something the other night that was so wonderful about heroes. You said something about you don't have to know your hero to have a hero, what was it yeah, you said? Yeah, well, I mean,
1: I spent a lot of time with uh, kids. And I have, a, a, I have, of course, a 17-year-old who's still in high school and I have a, a daughter who's in college. Uh, but I love being around kids, and I love to go to high school classes, and I love to go to elementary school classes. And I tell kids at all schools, I say, and I was with the Perryville AP History class at Perryville on, on Monday, and we were talking about heroes. You don't have to know somebody to be a hero to create all the components of a hero. For me, when I was a kid, you know, I had sports figures I admired, but I have figures from American history that I admired, and I pulled traits from them to create what i thought was a role model what's a what is a mentor and i think kids are desperate need of heroes now we have a lot of single parent families we have a lot of uh, almost latchkey kids that just don't have parental supervision and they need to have role models and aspirational opportunities.
2: didn't you go to a dedication the other day
1: i did i dedicated the uh the perryville post office for harold george bennett who was the first U.S. POW uh, killed by the Viet Cong in, in a prisoner war camp in North Vietnam.
2: And he was from Arkansas.
1: He was from Arkansas. He was 24 years old. He tried to escape three times from the Viet Cong. He saved all of his unit from being killed, but he was captured in the process. He's a, a great American hero and a great role model for for all of us, but particularly for these young people there in Perryville. And his, his brother... Dickie was there and his two sisters and their family, and it brought back memories from 52 years ago, you know, uh, tough memories. But also good ones, family pride and a sense of duty and honor that we admire in so many people.
2: Fairfield Bay. I love the story of Fairfield Bay.
1: Fairfield Bay is a success story. In the 90s, when Martha and I moved home to Arkansas, Fairfield Bay was a place where we'd go to retreats for business, and it was a happening place. And then the Fairfield Corporation went bankrupt. And Fairfield Bay went through a a slump. But it is a story of self-determination. This mayor, this city council, and the citizens up at Fairfield Bay on the western end of Greer's Ferry Lake said, you know, we're going to rebound, we're gonna be successful. And they got a convention and conference center reopened and spruced up. It's a spectacular meeting place. Wyndham has come in and done all their condos. So Wyndham Hotel? Wyndham Hotel Corporation took really? over their condos and their timeshare from the old Fairfield days. And we were up uh, dedicating uh, the first groundbreaking on 20 luxury townhomes overlooking the lake at Fairfield Bay. And it, it's... When was that? This year? It's We broke ground uh, this week really and it's so exciting to see a mayor and a town come together create a business plan and move their town forward you've got to be tired
2: you're everywhere every city <laughs> all the time you run for congress you'll be running again this is your second time I'm running term. my
1: first re-election your
2: right. first re-election that's a good way to say it and it's every two years right that just seems like too much but okay
1: Our founders put that in the Constitution, and we we love every minute of
2: it. So we're staying with that. God bless. I know it, right? So any last words for our listeners?
1: Well, just uh, thank you for the opportunity to talk about business and talk about uh, perseverance. And I I appreciate uh, the chance to be with you. And, of course, appreciate all the listeners uh, being supportive of me as I seek a second term.
2: If the listeners want to donate to your campaign, what's the best way? Uh,
1: They can go to electfrench.com.
2: Well, that's pretty simple.
1: Yeah, we don't want to make it too complicated.
2: ElectFrench.com. I want to thank my friend and congressman, French Hill, for joining me at the table and sharing all of his wisdom. And French, everybody that visits me at the table gets a cigar for birthing businesses. Wow. It's your firstborn.
1: I am so glad to be up in your business, and thanks for the invitation.
2: So to our listeners, I want to thank you for spending time with me and my guest, Congressman French Hill. If you think this program has been about you, you're right, but it's also been about me. Thank you for letting me fulfill my destiny. My hope today is that you've heard or learned something that's been inspiring or enlightening and that it, whatever it was today, will help you up your business, up your independence, and your life. I'm Carrie McCoy. Be brave and keep it up.
0: Thank you for listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy, a production of Flag and Banner.com. Carrie will be back next week. Her guest will be artist Pat Matthews, along with his wife, who is also an artist and simply known to her fans as Tracy. Also, November is Military Month, and Pat has been commissioned to paint the American flag at a fundraiser for the Arkansas Military Museum at MacArthur Park in downtown Little Rock. Also attending the fundraiser is the former outfielder Rick Monday, who is famous for preventing two protesters from burning Old Glory in 1976 at Dodger Stadium. And again, thanks to Centennial Bank for partnering with the Friends of Dreamland Ballroom and sponsoring this year's Dancing into Dreamland coming up Friday, November 2nd. Carrie's goal, to help you live the American dream.